Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. Extra Point is part of the preaching ministry of Modley Baptist Church in East Texas. Extra Point provides helpful follow-up to Sunday's message. Specifically, it allows us to discuss some of the extra points from the message that we didn't have time to fully discuss on Sunday and even answer questions from the listening audience. If you have a question you want to submit, you can go to extrapoint.moberly.org. I'm Paul Coleman, the teaching pastor at Moberly, and today I'm joined by Jeffrey Davis, who serves as the campus pastor at our Marshall campus. Jeffrey, glad you're here this morning. Let's get started. Yeah, super glad to be here, Paul. Um, Really, just to discuss the sermon series above every other. I love the emphasis on personally knowing God by knowing the way He's revealed Himself through His name. So, Paul, which two names are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Elkanah, which means God is jealous, and Mekhedesh, which means God who sanctifies you or God who sets you apart. Man, there's so much in these two, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, but just to give a little clarification about what these are before we dig deeper, uh, Elkanah, this idea that God is jealous, really, uh, from my perspective, I see it as how he will not share his sovereignty with any other imagined deity. So anytime that uh, God's power or control or you know his omnipresence or omnipotence, anything that is questioned, uh, by the presence of another imagined God or deity, uh, God's just not willing to take that. And so being jealous for God means that He's actively maintaining His uniqueness or His holiness, His being set apart, different, which actually reminds me of last week, what last week's name, El Elyon, or Most High. And then Yahweh Makadish is is so similar, uh, yet different. And that's what I love about learning God's names, because the El names that talk about His preeminence or his preexistence and his power are, are always have a companion with something that means God is personal. And so Yahweh Makedesh is God really transforming his people back into his likeness. You know, we talk about being made holy or different, and that's this process of sanctification. And God does this with us through his Holy Spirit. In fact, we say that it's God making us more like Jesus, which is true. But if you think of it this way, that God's actively and personally restoring us to His image. Well, He is this powerful and present and pre-existent God, and He created us in His image, in His likeness, which includes, you know, His divine jealousy. And then we broke that with our sin, and so now we have a sin-tainted jealousy, which makes this idea that God is jealous so difficult for us to understand as humans because we have a sinful jealousy. We'll talk more about that, but the point here is that God is actively and personally restoring us to what He created us to be, this idea that He is sanctifying us and making us holy and set apart, and that's a process that's going to take an entire lifetime uh, and really only be complete when we enter heaven, but let's dig deeper into the idea that God is Elkanah. Yeah, God is jealous. I love this part of his character. For one thing, it it seems like you said these Yahweh names are, these Yahweh compounds are very personal, <clears throat> playing off the idea of Yahweh being personal and present. But to me, it, it's like his discipline. If he didn't love us, then he wouldn't bother to be jealous. Now, I know some people would say, well, no, he's jealous because he's an egomaniac, because he's all about himself. He wants all the attention, all the glory. Certainly, he wants the glory. He deserves the glory. But, you know, his jealousy talks about his love. It's in the context of his love. And you and I were discussing, even before we started this morning, that if you read the the Old Testament, if you just observe how God dealt with the people of Israel all the way through, particularly in the books of the prophets, where 
you know, you see God's heart exposed, you'll understand his jealousy, even if it's not called out as one of his names, because he is jealous. He's a, he's a God who wants uh, to be loved supremely. And so um, there are other places in the Bible that talk about his jealousy, obviously, that we didn't have time to get to in Sunday's message. But I would encourage you, if you're listening, to to just look up the name Connor or Elkanah um, in your Bible, in your uh, uh, lexicon or whatever you use to study the Bible, or even just, just Google it for that matter. And uh, you'll find a lot of different places where it mentions that. But in Deuteronomy 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, So watch yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, Yahweh Elohim, which made you. And uh, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God, Yahweh Elohim, has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And so, you know, always, I think it's probably almost every time, I didn't necessarily look up every place in the Bible that talked about jealousy, but in most of the ones I looked up, it was always in the context of idol worship, in the hmm. context of a false image of God. So it wasn't just that they had wrong ideas about these images. You know, the Bible in the, in the commandments talks about not making any image of mm. God, not trying to make any representation because there's nothing you could make that would accurately represent wow. God. So anything that you made would be less than, <clears throat> excuse me, less than God and therefore would diminish who he is in your eyes. That's why I love that he never let his people and still doesn't want any, any of us who follow him to make any kind of image to represent him. Uh, we have the names of God, and we have His dealings with the people to understand Him. But, um, but idol worship, to some degree, there are several things wrong with it. One, it was a misrepresentation, misrepresentation of God. But secondly, it showed a lack of trust. It showed that when when the people of God turned to idols, they were saying, "Well, we can't trust God to do these things for us. We need right. to worship these fertility gods or these these gods that will help our crops grow and make sure that our animals reproduce, and therefore." continue to grow our herds and flocks and those kinds of things and make us successful. So we can't be successful uh, because they moved into this land where there were all these people that God was going to use them to judge and basically take their land. But these people all had religions and they all had you know idols that they worshipped and wrong ideas about God. And so God was saying, you don't need any of that. That's all fake and false. I'm the true God. I am El Elyon. I'm the Most High. And yet over and over they turned to these false gods just proving that they didn't really trust, you know, that God to be tr the true God. But idol worship is really an affront to God's love for His people. It's like saying, "I love you, but I love a lot of other gods too." <laughs> yeah, G God is really jealous because He loves us, and I think that's such a cool part of it. But break this down a little bit more, and we go off script and go break it down for a connect group leader or someone who is leading their friends spiritually. How can you recognize in today's culture? idol worship. Hmm. What does well, that look like? So to me, <clears throat> idol worship is anything that you, one, as I mentioned in Sunday's message, that you love more than God. I would say even that you trust more than God, that you put your trust in. For some people, probably in our part of the world, it's their bank account or their job or their retirement account. I have all these resources at my disposal, and so, you know, I, yeah, God's a nice addendum to my life, but I don't need God. I mean, I've got a job. I've got great income. I can buy a big house and big cars and trucks and boats and all kinds of toys, and we can go on vacations, and, and I can put my trust uh, in all kinds of material things or really in myself because I'm able to earn a living 
until that is taken away. <laughs> and I wonder in this whole um, COVID-19, you know, quarantine that we're in, I wonder how many people are beginning to think about that, how really, and the Bible talks about how fleeting wealth is and, and how it's mm-hmm. dangerous. But, you know, wealth can be one of those things. Relationships, sometimes people put their faith and trust in a person to a fault, and maybe it's their spouse, maybe it's a relationship, a dating relationship, and they put all their hope and trust in another person. You're going to complete me. You're going to satisfy me. You're going to bring meaning into my life and all those things or whatever. It could be a lot of different things. How do you see it? Yeah, I see it just like what you're talking about. And I see a lot of Christians, especially in East Texas, in our context, who would never in their life say that they worship something more than God. If you ask them, do you love that more than God? Yeah. I think they would never say, oh, yeah, but on a day-to-day basis, their actions, behavior would probably speak something else. And so it's gonna it's one of those things where we have to get really personal about what do we truly love more than God. In fact, I heard a, a pastor one time uh, talking about just spiritual disciplines and reading the Bible. And uh, I came across this a lot in college ministry, uh, the years that I was doing college ministry, where students would say, oh, I just don't have time to read the Bible, or I have all these other things I have to read. I just don't have time. And, uh, and I would always tell them busyness is a myth, <laughs> because, <laughs> man, if you take you know, a 7 times 24 and you start uh, talking about the hours of your week and subtracting you know, how much you sleep and how much you watch Netflix and how much, <laughs> and if you just take everything out, how much you should be doing homework, not how much you are doing homework, all that, you take everything, you still, the, the busiest college student I ever met still had eight hours a week that they could not account for. <laughs> not for eating, not for binge watching. Not, I mean, they go, where did it go? And so busyness is a myth. And I think if we really started looking at our lives and go, okay, well, the reality is we're not spending time with God because we don't truly love Him, hmm. then that really kind of digs into your soul a little bit. Yeah, I said that in Sunday's message. You know, it's a heavy question. It's a very heavy question. I think most people, you're right, would say, well, I'm supposed to love God. So yes, I'm going to say I love God. But among the things that you love in your life, would you really say that what you have for God is love? Or is it devotion? Is it allegiance? Is it loyalty? Those things can come from love, but they're not necessarily the same thing as love. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to me, I don't know, early in my Christian discipleship, God kind of dealt with me about that whole thing. I used to think, my thinking used to be, well, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I thought, okay, so if I keep all his commandments, then that equates to my love for him. So I just thought, okay, get after it. Start keeping the commandments. Try to do all the things Jesus said. But that that is not a substitute for love. He was just saying, if you love me, you're going to do the rest of it. That's why it's the most important commandment, because it's the top. So if you start there and get your heart right, you tend to follow through on all the other things. I had it completely backwards, and I was just busy trying to keep his commandments. And if I was honest, and the Lord convicted me about this when I was in college, if I was honest, I could I couldn't really say before the Lord. I wouldn't tell anybody else this then, but I couldn't say before the Lord, I love you. I couldn't honestly say that. I want to love you, but I couldn't honestly say that I did. And that was a heavy thing to deal with in my life. And that's kind of started the change in my life, really, to be transformed. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those of, of our listeners who are thinking, wow, maybe I don't love God. <laughs> uh, keep, yeah. Keep in mind that God is is a hundred percent full of grace, and He's He's waiting for you to turn your heart around and say, because of who God is, because of what He's done for me through Jesus Christ, 
I'm going to respond to that with love. And the thing about First John says, because he first loved us, mm-hmm. we love him. And all this reminds me of uh, our friend Joe Parnell, and he'll never listen to this. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> 73 years old, about to be 74, and we've both worked with him for a long, long time. And, uh, and I don't know if you know this about Joe, but he told me this one time, and I don't think he'd be afraid for everybody else to know this, but he wakes up every morning. And the first thing that he thinks or says, in fact, most days he says it out loud, is, good morning, Lord. No matter where he is, no matter who's around, he wakes up and he says, good morning, Lord. That represents love mm-hmm. for God mm-hmm. before he does anything else. Uh, but some people in the Bible especially shows us how they have uh, not only drifted from God on a day, but actually fully turned away from him mm. uh, and chosen other gods, which is this dramatic experience. But it reminds me of what, what I've been reading uh, the last couple of days in First and Second Kings and the incredible story in First Kings 18 of God defeating the prophets of Baal through Elijah. Uh, and speaking of what you said earlier, God is a consuming fire from Deuteronomy 4. He literally sends fire from heaven to consume this offering to prove to these people uh, that he is God and that no other God can stand against him. And so in Elijah's prayer, right before this fire falls from heaven, he says, Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And I love how that thread is woven throughout Scripture and even today in our lives, but especially in the Bible, it really is about knowing God personally. He wants us to know Him, and it's not just enough to know about Him. Yeah, that's why I mentioned Jeremiah too. I I love the prophet Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet, but if you, the beginning of the book, Jeremiah 2, 1 and 2, just talks about kind of where Israel came from and how they drifted away. And the prophets were people that God sent to his people because he loved them to say to them, okay, you people are wandering so far away from me and doing the exact opposite of what I want for you. You're worshiping idols and doing all these other things and trusting in these other idols and things, and you're not loving me. So I'm sending a prophet to you to warn you, to get your attention uh, to stand in front of the people and and shout to them, this is what the Lord says to you. So you have forgotten what the Lord says to you. And remember, in those days, they didn't have a copy of the Bible. And and they had a scroll that they would go to the synagogue and uh, or the temple, and someone would read to them. And so 52 times a year, if they went every Sabbath, they would hear the word of the Lord. Otherwise, they it was easy for them. They didn't have a Bible they could open every day and have a time with God, you know. So they were called upon to know, and their parents were supposed to talk to them about the ways of the Lord and the scriptures and those kind of things. They were called to memorize scripture and those kinds of things. But they didn't have that accessibility that we even had to be able to open mm-hmm. take a Bible everywhere we go and open it yeah. and read it and whatever. And so uh, Jeremiah is one of those prophets that just talks about, and I said this in the message, that you know it's a very graphic passage. It's, it's, the, it's the language of a jilted lover or a, or a spouse who's been rejected or cheated on. And so much of that is in the prophets that it's so interesting to me that God would describe his relationship with Israel in that context. Hosea is another passage of the whole book of Hosea. If you read Hosea, I mean, Hosea just gets his heart broken over and over again. And it's as though God is saying to Hosea, now you know what it feels like to be me. Wow. And it's not that God's just saying, I demand that they worship me. Hmm. No, it's love. It's jilted love. It's, it's rejected love. And that's why you, you can understand why the Shema in Deuteronomy talks about the, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Jesus reiterated that in Matthew 22, the most important commandment. It really is about love for God. He, 
He's not ever going to be satisfied in our lives unless we love him. And to me, that there's a lot of places you can look, but I would encourage people just to look in Jeremiah, not just chapter 2, the whole book. But I always say to people, when you read the Old Testament, there's things you don't understand. Don't let that keep you from reading it. You can certainly do research and find out what things mean, but there's so much history involved in it and the geography of it. So you can get bogged down in that and miss the meaning. Mm-hmm. I just say stay on a high place with your reading and and stay focused on the heart of God. What is mm-hmm. what what is God communicating about Himself in this passage? And certainly, if you understood the nuance of the of the geography of the history, then you would know more of that. But you can do that over time. You can build onto that. But I say jump into it and begin to read it anyway, even if you don't understand all of it, because you will understand some of it, and the things you'll understand are going to communicate to you the amazing heart of God. Yeah, it is really incredible. I want to talk about God's love, but let me just interject a resource. Uh, something that you said brought this into my mind. It is difficult to read the prophets, especially. The Old Testament is also hard to understand at times, because we don't understand the history. Uh, but there is a resource on rightnowmedia.org, or you can access it via the website. Uh, It's a resource called The Bible Project, and they make these incredible illustration videos, and it's, I don't really know another way to explain it, except they just kind of (laughs) draw graphically, you know, uh, well, not graphically, that's the wrong word, but uh, they draw, uh, you know, uh, they illustrate uh, what's happening in in the Old Testament uh, per book of the Bible. So you get kind of an overview and it, they kind of draw it in little chunks, but then the whole picture kind of comes together at the end, and you go, oh, that's what that's about. <laughs> and even as someone who studied the Bible for a long time, I watch those, and I'm fascinated with them. In fact, um, I found out there's an app on the Amazon Fire Stick specifically for the Bible Project. Oh, wow. And so if you have that, if you're streaming on your TV at home through the Amazon Fire Stick, uh, probably on other devices too, if they have that one, uh, just search the App Store there for the Bible Project. And right along your YouTube and Netflix and Hulu, you can plug in an (laughs) app on your home screen, the Bible Project. And every time you turn on your TV, you can see that and be reminded uh, that there's a help for you to understand the Bible. But wow, God is jealous because He's love. Hmm. And that's the yeah. that's the, what differentiates that's what differentiates God's jealousy from human or sinful jealousy. You know, He and His jealousy is rooted in love and perfection. He lacks nothing, and so He has the ability to sinlessly be jealous uh, because of His position. And ours is usually rooted in something like insecurity. We lack, and that's what sin brought into our world. We have all all of a sudden the realization uh, that we lack, and we're shameful and guilty, and so that generates a a sinful jealousy. But what's cool about the organization of the sermon series is the companion name of God from the message uh, that was Yahweh Makedesh. And you're talking about Jeremiah too. Man, you see that concept, the Yahweh Makedesh, right off the bat in Jeremiah too, just in the first couple of verses where... Uh, where Jeremiah is told to say that Israel was holy or set apart to the Lord, to Yahweh. And so these two names, and, and that Elkanah is a thread throughout there, is, a, is these two names are really biblical companions. In fact, uh, one of my favorite verses in that, Jeremiah 2, is verse 11, when uh, in part of the prophecy is, Jeremiah says, "...has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods?" <laughs> if you stop and think about that, wow, God is really concerned because His people not only are picking someone else, they're picking something that doesn't exist, and and uh, they're choosing something that's not going to fulfill them, uh, that's not going to give them any worth, uh, which that kind of thought was started in verse 5 when He says, what, what wrong did your fathers find in me? Of course, there is nothing wrong with God. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? They went after worthlessness 
and became worthless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just yeah. such a fascinating verse because you become what you seek. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they were seeking something. What are, you, what are your thoughts well, about that? Well, I love that. You, you, you said your favorite verse. One of my favorite verses is verse 2 where God is speaking to them and he's saying to Judah, he's saying, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the mm-hmm. love of your betrothals. And mm-hmm. this is New American Standard. So he's, he's talking about love. You're following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. Israel, this is the part you were talking about, Israel was holy to the Lord. Now, I love that because, you know, the, the whole idea of holiness, we, we talk about sometimes in Christianity, we don't really know what these words mean. We throw them around, God's holy, or we sing holy, 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 you know, yeah. from Isaiah 6. Wow. And we go, yeah, holy just means he's, I don't know, righteous, he's perfect, he's sinless, those things are all true. But holy really has this meaning of set apart, different, unique, one of a kind. With God, it's truly true that he's one of a kind, unique, no other God like him. But here, Jeremiah is saying, I mean, God's saying through Jeremiah, you, Israel, were holy to me. In other words, you were for me, with me, consumed with me, you loved me. You weren't looking at idols. You weren't worried about other things. You weren't worrying if if you didn't trust God, what you were going to get or not get. You were holy in your devotion to me and mm. your love. That's that picture of, of loving God supremely, I think. But I love this idea of God actually, and Israel is a perfect example of it in the Old Testament, taking a group of people and completely changing their purpose, changing their function, changing why they were on the war, the planet. God was going to use them to reveal to the rest of the world who he was. He had this incredible purpose for them. They were holy. They weren't like every other group of people. They didn't worship all the other gods. They only worshiped him. They didn't have an army. You know, he mm-hmm. was their strength. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have a king for a time. Mm-hmm. And then they demanded a king, and he finally gave them a king. And, and boy, if you study the history of the kings, you'll see that that was a mistake <laughs> uh, most of the time. But they were holy to the Lord. That's what he That's what he wanted, people that were set apart for him. And, um, and I, I love that because that's exactly what he wants to do in our lives, this idea of being set apart or sanctified. That's another one of those Christian words that we go, sanctification sounds like a, a, a really good thing, but I have no idea what that means. <laughs> you know, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think uh, for sure you said something about the spouse. Uh, and I, as I used, we're talking about that, I thought, you know, one of the things that I know communicates love to my spouse is throughout my day, if I send her a text, hey, love you, hey, I'm thinking about you. Now, do I do that all the time? No, I, I do love her. She knows I love her. But I know that that's in a, a special way. But if I think about if God, if that's the relationship I have with God, and that's an image of that, how many times do I go through a day, and uh, and I would challenge our listeners to think this too, well, how many times do I go through a day and go, wait, oh yeah, God's there. Or I'm not really thinking, I just get in the, the routine of what I'm doing or the the ritual or the the rigmarole of what I what I'm up to, and I just sort of forget that God is actively uh, involved in my life and, and you know, like yearning for my attention. And he loves me in that kind of way, and uh, and man, as I love him, I think I would and would often, more often than not, uh, want to turn my attention to him, talk to him as I go, you know, think about him on a regular basis. Uh, like I would my wife, and maybe even more so. So it's pretty well, cool. your wife, our, our relationship with our spouse is an excellent example of holiness. Um, when we said "I do" to our wives, 
we said I don't to everyone else. We said yeah. this relationship is a holy relationship. We even call it holy matrimony. It's holy. Yeah. It's it's a relationship we don't have with anyone else on yeah. the planet. It, it is a unique, one-of-a-kind. So it's another example of what it means to be set apart. We put a ring on our finger. We take vows before God, and we promise to love and do all these wonderful things for each other. But we don't make those promises to anybody else, not in the same way. It's a, it's a one-of-a-kind relationship. So it really is why God uses that husband-wife relationship to describe his love for Israel and for the church in the New Testament, uh, that we are his bride. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a relationship of holiness like that, that we are set apart. Um, you know, I think this, and I mentioned this in the message, I, I, I think that this whole idea in our culture of self-identity is, is logical for what most people believe, you know, that we're just flung onto the planet. It's kind of mm. this existential philosophical mindset that says, well, you're just here, figure it out. You know, you just make up your own reality. Whatever, just take what you have and do the best you can with it, you know. It was John Paul Sartre, the, the existential philosopher, who said, you're flung onto the stage. There's no script. There's no director. There's, I mean, he was an atheist, obviously. There's no plot. Just get on the stage and act. You know, well, that's the way some people live their lives. They just, wow. they go, man, I have no idea why I'm here. I'm just going to figure it out. So, yeah, I'm free to identify myself. It totally negates God's role as creator. And hmm. and sometimes as Christians, we do the same thing. We go, hmm. I am who I think I am. I am not who God says I am. That's part of being holy is going to God and saying, okay, God, I really have no idea what my purpose is. I know I'm supposed to love you. We have to follow God. And then he sets us apart. You said it. He's, he's restoring us to the place of where we look like him, more and more like yeah. him, act more and more like him, think more and more like him. So we can actually be his ambassadors. We can actually uh, represent him in the world that we live in, you know, not not perfectly for sure, but but as we trans, we're transformed into the image of, of his likeness as we walk with him and know him and stuff. And so I think that's a really, really important thing. Peter says this, and I like this passage of Scripture in First Peter. It says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy also uh, yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And, it, and he's talking about, yeah, your former lusts, which you used to be like. But what he's saying is, you're not supposed to, you're not that person anymore. I've identified you completely differently now, so live differently. Live a completely set-apart, special, one-of-a-kind. You know, I use this illustration of fine china, but I think we talked about marriage. A wedding dress is also an excellent example of something that's holy. You wear it. Most women wear it one time in their life, and they never wear it again. Even if they get a second or third marriage or something, and their spouses die or whatever, they don't wear that dress again. That dress is holy. It has one purpose, one unique thing. And think of your life like that. God has called you to be different, to not conform to your former lusts, but to actually be completely different. And he's transforming you into this person that he knows that he's made you to be. And he's the creator. He's the author. He's the potter. So he can say to the clay, I want you to be this or that. Mm. Because I'm in charge and I'm in control and I have an idea. It's a perfect idea of what you're going to become. Mm. Yeah, this is the idea of Yahweh Makedesh, which is, is... wholly different from Elkanah, yet the same. The difference is really that it's just not it's not God's pre-existence or preeminence. It's that God is personal and that He really wants us uh, to make to be different. And so it, it kind of puts the onus on us. When we know something about God, are we gonna 
adjust our lives to it, or are we just going to keep on going the same way? The Bible's full of people who didn't adjust their lives to it. I mean, we talked about the Israelites who over and over and over again knew about God through his names, didn't make that choice. We talked about uh, even like going back to uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, uh, even all the way into Jeremiah, there are priests, you know, throughout the Israelites' history. These guys are, their role in the, in the Israelite kingdom is to connect people to God. They knew all about God, yet they chose other gods or sinful paths, yeah. you know. Uh, and then you go all the way to the New Testament, you, you mentioned Peter, but you go all the way to the New Testament, Testament, you've got the Pharisees. These were teachers of the law. These guys had most of the Old Testament memorized, uh, yet they totally missed God when he was right in front of their face. Uh, and so they all knew God's names, they just didn't know him personally. So yeah. when God reveals himself to us, it demands a response from us. And I think that's where a lot of us as, as listeners and studiers of the Bible, uh, you know, especially in our small groups, as we meet for connect groups and things like that, uh, really have to do some personal uh, inventory and go, okay, do I, is this going to be something I know or is this going to change who I am? Uh, my friend of mine always says that, especially in our connect group uh, uh, setting, a friend of mine says, they're not just for information, it's for tra- transformation. And so uh, that's what this idea of Makedesh is, is God wants to transform us personally. He wants us to be different, to be like Him, uh, and, and to be sanctified and holy and set apart. I think sometimes we fight against that too, because we want to be, we want to fit into the world we live in. Hmm. We want to, you know, we don't want to be seen as fanatical or radical or whatever. The truth is, if you love God supremely, you will be radically different than 98% of the 99% of the people that you live around. You just, you may look like them, you may wear the same style clothes, the same style hair, but you will be radically different in the things you value and care about. And one thing I didn't have a chance to mention, I'll just mention it as a form of study for somebody here, but if you go back and study the word jealous and zealous, hmm. they're, they're the same root word. Kana is the root word in Hebrew. So Numbers 25 is an interesting passage. I won't talk about it now for sake of time, but it's an interesting passage that talks about those two things. And even the disciples recognize that Jesus, when he cleansed the temple in John 2, was zealous for the Lord, zealous for the house of the Lord. Well, he was it's the same word. He was jealous. It was part of that consuming fire God's jealousy lived out. So just another thing to throw in there if you want us to do further study on that. Wow, that's cool stuff. Well, Paul, thanks for this insight. Uh, what an incredible study. We hope this podcast has been helpful for you as you lead your connect group, your discipleship group, or in your own personal study of God's Word. Hey, join us next time for the Extra Point podcast or in person sometime at Moberly here in East Texas. For more information about our church or uh, the Bible or a relationship with Jesus, you can find all that at moberly.org.